Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast, on which I today have Paris, Paris Childress, who is the uh, CEO of Hop Online, and he also is a fellow podcast host. His podcast, Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, um, available everywhere. Um, and I'm looking forward to have a chat with him today on some practical advice for SaaS businesses, because that's something Hop Online specializes in, and you have some valuable tips in. So, but first of all, please introduce yourself, Paris. Hi, Elias. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Paris Childress, and I'm founder and CEO of, of an agency called Hop Online. We are a performance marketing growth agency focused primarily on SaaS, software as a service companies. And we're based in Bulgaria and we service companies all around the globe, uh, primarily US and Europe. And as you also mentioned, I have a podcast on the side just called Paris Talks Marketing, which is mm-hmm. uh, keeps me busy. Absolutely. And it, it well, it's it also one of the things that I enjoy very much about the podcast is that you get to know people and get to meet people that you normally wouldn't meet, that that you have in-depth conversations with that you wouldn't have on a, on a trade show or whatsoever. So yeah. um, how is that for you? I fully agree. That's that's one of the most rewarding parts of running a podcast, I think, is that you get you get to meet people and have in-depth conversations and really establish a connection yeah. in a relatively short amount of time. Love and it. and that's, a, that's a very strong, that, that's a much, much stronger, as you said, than... Coming across somebody on a on a on the floor of a conference uh, expo or something like that. Absolutely, that's that's so so true. And um, just just elaborating a little bit on that before we dive into SaaS marketing. But uh, oh, maybe this is also a, a part of the SaaS marketing uh, services that you offer. But ha- has your podcast contributed a lot to your business? Do you measure results or do you see any results? I do believe that it has contributed a lot to to our agency brand. It, it is difficult to measure a direct correlation or a direct attribution of our podcast efforts and, let's say, the lead generation. But we do ask all of the new leads that come to us, we ask them if they're aware of the podcast. And most of them say yes. So I think that's, at least with qualitative attribution, I do believe that there is a very high return on investment when it comes to podcasting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So um, let's dive into SaaS marketing uh, and digital marketing for SaaS companies. So, what, in your opinion, to 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 start this off a little, but what, in your opinion, is the main differences or the specifics that people need to know about SaaS, and what's what makes SaaS different from other industries? Mm-hmm. I think the main thing is that when you acquire a customer, you don't reap the, the you don't. Uh, reap the benefits right away of that customer and you have a re- recurring revenue stream based on a subscription model that you hope to you hope to monetize that customer over possibly years out into the future. And so the biggest challenge with SaaS marketing is to know how much you can afford to pay to acquire a customer when you do not know how long you're going to have that customer who's paying on a, let's say, a monthly or maybe a quarterly or annual subscription. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes, in my view, that's what makes SaaS marketing much more unique than any other type of marketing for, for lead generation or for e-commerce, because there you have much more, let's say, uh, more concrete 
transactional value or revenue value that you can place on a on a new deal. But with SaaS, um, it's it's difficult. So knowing what to, what you can afford to pay or knowing your your CAC ceiling, so to speak, is is what I think every every SaaS business struggles with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because and that's that's so true. They they struggle with that, right? Because um, knowing your your CAC, uh, so your acquisition cost or customer acquisition cost, and how that correlates with your customer lifetime value is a key metric to understand when you're when you're in SaaS. And uh, I think I I I've seen the same happening within SaaS as you probably hint on, but because they struggle with it. But when I ask marketers, they typically uh, don't know how much they can spend on a new customer or a new acquisition. Is that something you recognize? Absolutely. Yeah. And the way that most of these companies work around that is they take a gross average of uh, average value, let's say, or like a lifetime value. And they apply that gross average to all of their acquisition marketing. And they say, well, on average, a customer uh, annual contract value or a lifetime value might be thousand dollars. And so we're willing to acquire a customer at uh, 250 or $300. Mm-hmm. And that's great um, in aggregate, but but you're still going to have a lot of people that you're paying to acquire who are going to be worth much, much less than the average. And some of them are going to be worth zero if they never actually, if they churn out of your trial or, or, or a perpetual freemium customer, but they never, they never pay for the product. Mm-hmm. And a lot of marketing budget is wasted on those below average, below average LTV users. And the hard part is the, how do you identify them right up front and avoid spending your marketing dollars on those people? And uh, can you answer that question? Well, we're working on the answer now <laughs> within our agency, and it's it isn't it isn't that straightforward. But if you can predict lifetime value, either right at the point of acquisition or very soon after the point of acquisition, meaning three days or seven days max, using first party data, then you can get a lot closer to solving that problem of, of all that wasted spend. And one of the things that we're doing now using machine learning is we're we're aggregating our clients' first-party data, and we're building machine learning models that attempt to predict the lifetime value very, very early in the life cycle, right after the acquisition. So we're looking at data points like um, what, what is the location, either country or the, or the state of the user, what is their device type, what type of a company, uh, how, how large is the company, what is their role in the company? And then once they sign up and they start using the product, even in the first few days, we look at the usage signals of the behavioral data as also signals for predicting the future value. And we, we now have models that are getting pretty accurate, meaning that they can predict with, a, with about a 90% degree of accuracy, they can predict the future value or the lifetime value of that new customer. And the way that you close the loop is that you take the predicted lifetime value and you send it back to Google ads as a conversion event mm-hmm. with a with a particular value. And so then you're feeding Google back data that it can learn on. And with value-based bidding, your Google is is trying to bid to a target return on ad spend. And if you if you give unique values back to Google of the future value or predicted value of those customers or the acquisitions, Google can optimize against that. And so that that is a learning feedback loop where where you're using your first party data, you know, in a way to predict 
future value and send that back to Google so that Google can get you more valuable customers and, and not waste your ad spend on, on low value leads. I would say this is so valuable for, for B2B marketers because I don't think a lot of uh, B2B marketers are already using the value-based bidding um, capabilities. Um, but before you can start doing the value-based billing, you need to, well, you, you just mentioned that you're looking at the behavioral data, uh, how we, how our customers, let's say, behaving before you send them over to, to Google Ads. Um, is there like a specific tooling or maybe you have developed something in-house that helps you to to identify that behavioral data? Well, we haven't developed any particular tool for this yet, but the process is is pretty labor intensive for, for now, at least. It involves taking the data from the behavioral data, such as, I'll give you an example, how many times the, a new user logs in in the first 48 hours, or if they are if they're adding a profile picture or if they are sharing if they're sharing the tool with one of their colleagues all this behavioral data is captured in usually in the in a something like a, a database a mysql database mm -hmm. and it needs to be sent into a data warehouse along with other data so what you need to do as a first step is to aggregate all the data into one place and get it uh, normalized in a, in in a way that allows you to prep it for machine learning. So you have to aggregate the data into a warehouse, and then you have to, to tabulate the data into, into columns and rows. And, and then you have something that you can run machine learning on. And that first step, getting to the point that you're ready to start machine learning is actually the hardest step. And we are, we're still working on trying to, to smooth that process and make it easier and faster. And at some point, maybe even build a, a tool that can help with that. We're not we're not quite there yet, though. No, no. So um, I, I want to know more about this this value based bidding because I think a lot of listeners um, are not using this yet, or they they might have just started using it. What, what kind of let's say insights can you share, or maybe you have some uh, best case scenarios or some learnings that you can share on some mm -hmm. customers that you have done campaigns for? Oh yeah, sure. Well, value-based bidding is a method of AI automated bidding within Google Ads that allows Google to, to bid according to the value of the click, the perceived value of the click, rather than bidding to a target cost per acquisition. So most SaaS companies today in their acquisition marketing for, for Google Ads at least, they're they're doing they're doing usually a target CPA bidding where you say, I want to have an acquisition at whatever it may be, $50 or $100. And then you're kind of treating all leads as, as having the same value that way. With value-based bidding, Google is bidding to a target return on ad spend. So it's something that has been happening in, in the e-commerce world for many years. But you tell Google now, don't get me leads at a fixed cost or acquisitions at a fixed cost, but I want to get a 300% return on, the, uh, on my ad spend. So I'm going to feed you values and I want you to, to bring in uh, or to deliver a return on ad spend against that at, at whatever percent that you set. And in order to make value-based bidding work, you need values. So those values can come from your CRM. For example, if you're using HubSpot or Salesforce and you've got a sales pipeline where you're placing uh, different values based on a probability of success or closing at different stages of that sales funnel, 
Well, then these are values that are really great to be feeding back to Google for value-based bidding because then Google can start focusing on maximizing the value of your sales pipeline in your CRM as opposed to simply driving a, a high volume of leads at a fixed cost. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's value-based bidding. In terms of a case study or a success story, we do have one so far with a client that we're pretty happy with. And using this, this unique uh, predictive LTV conversion event that we talked about, we're feeding that back to Google for value-based bidding. And we're seeing that that has outperformed so far, that has outperformed the, the old former campaign, which is running on the target CPA by, by about 65%, which means 65. that- wow. Yes, it is delivering a 65% higher return on ad spend compared to the um, the previous campaign with target CPA bidding, which had been running for, for years, actually, and had very a lot of historical data and was very stable. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. So, so we're seeing early evidence that this can work, and this can be especially a great solution in a post-third-party cookie world, which is coming in about a year, where companies are going to be really required to to do a lot more with their first party data because there won't be they're going to they're going to lose the reliance on um third party cookies absolutely so um if if you if you you um got that 65% well basically improvement in results compared to the 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 cost per acquisition focus and and you're focusing on on the value based um uh acquisitions now um did you change anything on the on the landing pages like is there anything you can share there oh yeah sure um my my best advice on landing page optimization for for better conversions with saas is to use a, a booking widget like calendly or hubspot and to ditch the forms to ditch the lead gen forms and have people go straight into calendar booking widgets um, we've seen some great results from that because it reduces so much of the friction that uh, is required when you fill out a form, you're not really sure what you should be sharing. And then you, after that, you get an email from someone who's trying to schedule a meeting um, as opposed to Calendly. And I think most of us now use either Calendly or something like it, mm -hmm. where a user who wants to do a demo or commit to a demo meeting, then they can they can book it straight in. That's that's the most practical advice I think I can give for a a landing page whose whose intention is to convert people to demo bookings, is to get them agree. right into calendar widgets. Yeah, yeah, that's what we see as well at marketing guys, and and it's it's something in in SaaS, um, and I think it's accepted a little, or it's the adoption is just a little further in the SaaS industry, so people expect yeah. and can will know how this how this stuff works. It depends from country to country, though. I've I've seen it very well working within, let's say, uh, the Nordics in in Europe and and the Netherlands and the UK and in the US. Um, in Germany, for example, I it seems like uh, people don't don't see the value yet, or they um, they're not just not as far yet, or it's not an accepted way of of booking meetings yourself. So is that something you've seen as well, or is that too detailed? I think that that's a fair statement. I, I sometimes I, I get a little bit. Um, uh, my my world of of tech and SaaS, I get a little bit uh, wrapped up in it, and I believe that that this represents how it is for everybody. But I, I would tend to agree that country by country, there are some differences. 
in the, I guess, the level of acceptance or comfort with these these booking calendar booking widgets? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, the last question that I have for you, because these, this time has gone very, very fast, but um, the last question that I would have also relates to those those forms and specifically those demos, because in the typical SaaS on the typical SaaS website, there is always the, the main call to action is book a demo. Um, and I recently read a report. I think it was brought out by Forrester um, and published on Outreach's website, and that basically uh, well uh, underlines that uh, younger people within the B two B decision making unit don't want to talk to salespeople anymore. They understand when they see a, a a button on a website that says demo that that's not always the intention to do a demo. It's more or less getting qualified as a prospect. They under they mm -hmm. they basically get that. They know that, so they don't book that anymore. So, what kind of other call to actions have you seen, let's say, recently working very well? Yeah, well, the most popular alternative as a go to market motion. The most popular alternative to a demo or sales-led, so to speak, would be product-led, product-led growth. And that is a, an experience where you're encouraging the user to get their hands on the product as quickly as possible with a, with a low touch or a no, in a no-touch experience. So you don't need to talk to sales. You can sign up and get access to a, a free version of the product right away and start using it. Or maybe you get you get some sort of a sandbox experience. And the solution that with predictive LTV that I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. which is based in a large part on behavioral data with product usage, this really this really aligns with product-led growth, because with product-led growth, you're you're trying to really onboard a, a higher volume of users who don't have to talk to sales, and they get to try the product and decide for themselves if if it solves their use case or if they like it, and that testing that behavioral data that happens right away after they sign up, can be very, very um, useful in, in predicting their future value. And um, I do think product-led growth is, is the future in many ways of SaaS. And a lot of SaaS is still ha haven't built a version of their product that is, is suitable for that. And, and some, some, I understand, are too customized to be able to do that. But I think companies out there that have been thinking about product-led growth, I really think it's it's great to at least experiment with to see if if there are users who would come and onboard themselves without who would prefer not to talk to sales or do demos. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Paris, thank you very much for this valuable advice and the valuable tips you shared on on B two B SaaS marketing. So, again, listeners, this was Paris Childress, he, who is the CEO at Hop Online, but he also hosts a podcast. Paris Talks Marketing. So go look it up and subscribe to that channel as well. And with that, I would like to thank you very much, Paris, for being on the Marketing Technology Podcast. Thank you too, Elias. It was great talking with you today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.